0: You're listening to All Things Video, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the past and charting the future of the online video ecosystem. You're listening to All Things Video. I'm your host, James Creech, and today's guest is Jill Bork, founder and CEO of RushTix. Jill, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, I'm glad we get to do this. I wanted to kick things off and, and learn a little bit more about how you got your start in the media and entertainment space.
1: Well we did a pretty radical pivot in March uh, when the pandemic hit. Uh, Previously we had been a membership uh, ticketing company based in the Bay Area. Um, Mm -hmm. Our members paid a monthly fee and we had a a cool system where we um, supplied with them them with all kinds of tickets to concerts, comedy shows, theater shows, all kinds of in real life experiences. So obviously in March all that drastically changed and so we had been playing around with live stream a little bit of twitch we did some facebook live and also some instagram and a little bit of periscope and um just as a promotional uh um, sort of avenue for us and uh, i personally have been an early adopter in the live streaming space so i thought why don't we try it um at that moment in time there were you know definitely uh artists that were doing live streaming but not a lot that we're doing ticketed live streams. Mm. So we did a 15 day pivot where we built out our ticketing and live streaming platform. we had already had a ticketing company. So that part was already done. We just layered on live streaming. And uh, yeah, we had our first show on March 31st. It was a drag show happy hour, uh, which sort of validated that people were willing to pay. They were willing to tip. And then we were off to the races. And we um, over a, a couple months, we honed in on comedy. So we're now like one of the biggest comedy live streaming platforms around.
0: That's awesome. So you started off as kind of this class pass-like model for local arts and and cultural events, right? Right. Uh, And moved from that subscription-based offering to more of this on-demand live streaming offering as a result of the coronavirus pandemic, right? Everything's changing this year, but particularly in the live event space, you know, necessitating a a change in strategy. And, And out of curiosity, why did you choose to hone in on the comedy market? What about comedy events was appealing to you?
1: Well, uh, I'm a former stand-up comedian. I've also produced a ton of stand-up shows. I had for years, I had a a very large New Year's Eve uh, comedy music show, Um, and I had produced a a string of shows on a weekly basis for years and years at the Purple Ending, which has gone away, but it was like a very historic comedy club. So I sort of had those chops already, and some of the um, sort of ideas in place of of knowing what a comedy experience could be like in live stream and how to translate that in particular how to have that feeling of a live audience so in our comedy shows we actually have uh, a subset of the ticket buyers who apply to be in the studio audience. So they, there's live laughter. You know, it's got that real dynamic feel. Um, so, you know, that was, we do plan to expand into other genres eventually, uh, but we decided just to focus on one and really own that and understand it and understand the dynamics of it. So that was our initial foray.
0: Very good. And, uh, you know, prior to your career launching Rush Ticks, I saw that you you started out in public relations, right? That's so- right. Uh, back in 2002, you founded Pays Public Relations, which served a number of clients in the financial services industry. Mm-hmm. What inspired you to start that business?
1: Yeah, so so that's my maiden name, and um, yeah, I, I actually out of college, I um, I had a finance degree, and I went to work at a mutual fund company, and I was uh, I was kind of a quant person, um, and uh, I got into public relations. Uh, uh, basically, I went to work at a kind of startup international mutual fund company where i was doing quant stuff but then i started doing marketing stuff and then they needed to do pr and it was one of those things where i just sort of figured it out i I think that's my theme (laughs) i'm a figure it out kind of person um so um i was able to figure out how to do pr and how to I did it in a very quant way, um, which at the time was very new to track ROI on PR back then was not something people did. Um, Interesting. uh, So how did
0: you measure it? What were the the models that you were building around uh, trying to analyze the impact of PR?
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, figuring out like what was the the things that everyone does now that wasn't done very often back then, but, you know, figuring out the reach, figuring out like uh, what the response that we were, you know, from that article and then track it back actually to how much was raised. Um, And it was pretty phenomenal. PR is one of those things that has, can, you know, bring in uh, a lot of uh, branding awareness and, you know, direct response, especially back then. I think media has changed quite a bit, <laughs> you know, um, back then, especially for financial products. If you had a big feature in a like money magazine at the time, you would hundreds of millions of dollars could flow in. So that's sort of where I was kind of able to leverage and got a lot of attention for that in the company I was working for. And then I I'd launched out on my own. So uh, I've always had an entrepreneurial itch. It's like, I, can't imagine not being an entrepreneur. I just have this mentality where I like to go and venture out and try things. And um, that's my personality type.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. I I figured when you mentioned you're a classic uh, figure it out type of person that it's, you fit the entrepreneurial mold. Yeah. So that's great. (laughs) What was the hardest part, you know, thinking back to launching that PR venture, what was the hardest part about being a first time founder?
1: Yeah. So um, really for me, it was getting over the fear of rejection. You know, when you're a first time founder, you, you, you're going to get rejected and it's part of it. And, and I, uh, I remember that in specifically, I have a very, uh, like there was a time where I, um, you know, I decided I was going to do it. I had, had gotten my first client sort of out the door. Um, and then I needed to get more clients. And that was very scary because, you know, it's kind of some cold calling, it's net, some network, it's really putting yourself out there. And I, I sort of got it in my head uh, wrongly that what I really needed was this great brand and I needed a great logo. And I, I put a lot of energy, misdirected energy, because I was actually, in retrospect, I didn't know it at the time, but I was fearful about taking some risks and, you know, putting myself out there. So um, I would say that as a first-time founder, you know, one of the big things is it's, it can feel scary. You know, it's got that, that, uncertainty I've been actually telling friends right now you know with all this anxiety that you're feeling this mixture of hope and fear that's what it's like to be a founder
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's what we wrestle with on a daily basis yeah
1: exactly and so like as you know part of being a founder is the ability just to kind of calm yourself down say it's okay this is the challenge and the reward is that once you get past that barrier whatever that thing that was sort of in your way that psychologically it's such an amazing feeling you know it's sort of like that feeling of going up the roller coaster is like, oh, this is scary. But then you get to the other side and you're like, Woo-hoo! <laughs> I did it. So that, that's my perspective.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with that, right? I can empathize with feeling the full range of emotions sometimes in a single week or a single day even where, <laughs> yeah. you know, there's things that are going awesome in the business that you're excited about and things that are obviously more challenging that you have to work on. So yeah, totally relate to that. So um, when did you uh, say, okay, I've, I've done the PR thing, now I'm going to venture off, and your, your love affair with uh, live events began?
1: Well, it was sort of um, a combination of, uh, I fell out of love with the financial industry um, in the 2007, two, 2007, 2008 sort of bank bailout. Up until then, I had been, you know, free market is the best way, capital markets are efficient. And that uh, whole situation just jaded me and it was hard for me to get behind promoting the products I was promoting. As a PR person, you have to believe in what you're promoting, at least for me, for me as a PR person, I had to believe in what I was promoting. And I just felt a lot of um, disappointment in the markets and how certain banks, very large banks had been completely bailed out. Meanwhile, people were losing their homes. Yep. So I just took, I would uh, had already been doing a lot of improv um, and I had a show that simultaneously I had been producing um, that had grown and I, and I just decided you know I'm just going to put my passion into this for a while and produce and I ended up doing stand-up and and just for several years I was just involved in that and Rushdix actually evolved out of uh, what I saw in the marketplace which was that there's all these great events. And people just don't know about them because the way information is and it's just hard to keep track of things. And so um, the ethos of Rush Ticks in the beginning, which still applies, it was about forming community and getting people out, discovering live events and, and sharing that live experience. So it's very applicable to what our live streaming platform is today. It, it, and I think that's why we were able to pivot because our whole team believes in that ethos, which is it's important to be together. It's important to be in the moment live with each other. And that's really what we're trying to accomplish with with what we're doing with live streaming.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. So you experienced it right as a performer yourself. You saw this need for, hey, there's all these great events happening that I just wish people knew about. And then there's also a way to help the venues and the performers, starting off with, you know, attracting people to come in person when it was possible to do that and now kind of moving towards. Uh, a virtual model where it actually makes it even easier for people to join in and participate in these experiences. Where maybe before, you know, if you're hosting an event in San Francisco, I'm in LA. It doesn't make sense for me to come, but now anyone all over the world can, can join these events.
1: Yeah, exactly, and and that's really exciting to be, because, especially now, more than ever, I think we need to find ways to have commonality and to to join together. We're so divided. You know, there's you know there's just this situation going on where we need to find commonality and comedy is one of those things that you know people can have in common there doesn't have to be an agenda behind it we can just you know laugh together and find you know the funny parts of life
0: yeah so thinking about you know the the future of the media and entertainment space what do you think the future holds do you have any predictions for what's coming next
1: well I think that this aspect of the lean forward media experience is really going to keep going. I think it was already there. It's not like live streaming got invented by any other players that are are in our market right now. It was already there. It was already there with Twitch. It was already there with other players. Um, But what is different now is that this sort of adoption of the Zoom and the adoption of so much of the uh, people are very comfortable now with being online with each other and you know having these conversations like we're having whereas i think most people you know before pandemic this would not be their ideal situation but they've adapted to it and not only adapted to it i think they're finding that it's actually very convenient it's actually can be a a very engaging and lively experience but it's different it's like we're we're sort of attuning our little antenna our communication and relationship channels to this new medium Um, and so where i see this going is that there'll be for example, with what we're doing, more tools to engage as a group, with to make this a two-way experience. So, well, I mean, no, you can't but Netflix experience is awesome. You can sit back, you can Netflix and chill. I think that the live streaming interactive situation is a lean forward. You're you're engaging. There's an adrenaline to knowing that there's thousands of other people watching at the same time, chatting. You know, the artist is in real time, answering questions. You know, even you know engaging with audience members. So there's a there's a lot of creativity that i'm seeing the performers where they're they're evolving for example their comedy acts into more interactive forums whether it's just q and a or we had one comedian do an advice show that was hilarious and and warm and funny and they're just the two way you know instead of one way it's becoming a two way conversation which I think it's really exciting.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. It feels like when live streaming first came about, people thought about it in the same, through the same lens as we would think of live TV, right? Where it's a traditional broadcast medium. Yes, we're all kind of contemporaneously sharing this viewing experience, but what digital promises through these platforms like Twitch, YouTube Live, Instagram, uh, et cetera, you can actually have that dialogue, right? It's not just a, a one directional broadcast message. Now it can be a conversation, the comedy or whatever the entertainment experiences can be shaped by the audience, right? So that's yeah. really powerful. That's a, that's a fundamental shift in uh, the, the content strategy itself. And then also through the, the delivery mechanism, it, it creates these whole new formats for storytelling and, and live experiences
1: exactly exactly and and in a lot of ways that is what in real life experiences offer to us because when you're in an audience what's happening is it's you're watching what's on stage obviously that's part of it but you're also on this level you're engaging with the other people the participants whether you're laughing together you're clapping but there's a definite energy that's happening in the room and i think that in our online worlds that can happen as well and i see it happen so um i think that's exactly right there's you know it's it, this has been the promise of, ever since uh, you know, there's you know, second screens or whatever you may want to call it, this has always been the promise, but it's never really ha- uh, been coalescing like, like it has now.
0: Yeah, and it, it feels like the enthusiasm for live streaming waxes and wanes a bit, right? I, you think back to South by Southwest four years ago and all the wild enthusiasm around Meerkat, and you know, that was uh, yeah. quickly faded out, and then you have Periscope, and then of course all the major platforms themselves rush into live streaming, Twitch, you know, having started a long time ago with Justin TV and then finding success in the gaming space, now expanding beyond that after the Amazon acquisition. And then you've got Facebook and and YouTube as other major players. So do you think that that landscape continues to shift? And I imagine it's, it's changed even more radically this year as people become more comfortable with video chats through, you know, our Zoom communication, our Google Meet communication. Are people going to turn to live streaming now as a more premier format of entertainment because we're almost used to it from our, our daily lives
1: yeah i think that it's going to have its place in the sense of what you're in the mood for uh, you know sometimes uh, you're in the mood for just hanging back putting netflix on it's a solitary or like you know with your partner kind of experience with your family um but when you similar to a live experience. When you go to a live show, you're deciding to engage. You're, it's hard to go to a live show and just be like completely chill and not interacting with anyone. Although you can not do that. Um, so I definitely think that empowering the audience is really what this is about. Like uh, live streaming, the more we think about live streaming as an audience like feedback tool and in a, a way to like increase your audience engagement, then I think that's the path that like, at least we see and we see where it, it's, you know, the, the, the folks who are buying the tickets and tipping in li- live, you know, live in, in real time, they are wanting to engage. So they, they, they're looking for more out of that relationship that they already have with that artist. Um, so I definitely think it has to do with empowering the audience, giving them tools more than just an emoji, you know, <laughs> to be able to do more. And that's the, the, those are the types of things we're working on. There's so much like what's happening right, right now with WebRTC and low latency, you know, LLS, there's, That is the future of where it's totally dynamic. You know, right now in our live streams, it's RTMP. It's like 20 second delay. You can't, the audience cannot in real time uh, respond. Mm. Um, But all that stuff is like literally around the corner. So that's the way we see it where like I see in the chat all the time, the audience is like, I wish they could hear me. (laughs) You know, they want to be heard. They want to be part of it. So, you know, that's, I find that really exciting.
0: Yeah, very cool. And I'm curious, you know, as you think about strategically for your business, obviously you're building technology around ticketing, around the live event format. Did you say, hey, we're going to invest and build this type of infrastructure ourselves, or does it make more sense to work with existing players, right, to have the content on Facebook Live, on, on Twitch, or these other platforms, or do you say, hey, we're, we're going to broadcast it in our player and then simulcast it in these other destinations? What does that business strategy look like in terms of distribution channels?
1: Yeah, for us, with the ticketed live streams, we're keeping it in our content the environment. And we, we experimented, and really what it came down to was the audience and artist experience. With, the, with an open platform, whether it be Twitch or Facebook, uh, Instagram, it's not that easy to do, or Periscope, you know, you're, you're, there's so many reasons to click away. And it's, it's not a, a, a situation where all the participants are there for the same reason. Like you could just be, you know, it just, you just happen to see it pop up on Facebook, Whereas when you plunk down $15 and you go into a space with other fans, it becomes like a very um, solidifying thing where we're all here for the same reason. Um, so, so that's how we're approaching it versus like an open platform dynamic versus where they come to a page. That said, we are uh, working on making sure that the live stream can easily be like watched on mobile or an iPad or a t- television, you know. Um, I think that's where we're, we're trying to expand our efforts. Um, and we do do some things on Facebook Live as more promo types of things, just to you know, get the word out, which I think is super helpful. Um, but that's how we see it, like open versus
0: closed. Makes sense. And then does the content live on after the stream? Does it have uh, life as a, as a VOD? Or do you find that you know, in order to preserve the purity of the true essence of the live experience that this was it and you either you're there and you participated or you, know, you missed it?
1: that is a great question so in our category there is all, we're all doing different things and you know there are some companies that ha- will save the vod and then you could buy that separately um, some will do the live stream and then have vod as available for 24 48 you know 7 days we depending on what the artists want we're very much like aligned with what makes sense for them um, for example, we had a, um, a comedian who's very uh, popular in Australia, and so the time zone wasn't super great, Be available for 24 hours after the live stream. Um, I think this is an evolving sort of situation where we're going to see wh- how things work and how the content, but it's, it's definitely going to be driven by content. Uh, it's not the same as, as, you know, uh, as being in the moment with the live experience, but I still think it's valid and that that content can live on for sure.
0: Awesome. Well, you mentioned some of the incredible new technologies that are changing live streaming uh, for the better, and I'm curious—you know—what impact those will have on on RushTix, and what uh, what else um, the future holds for for RushTix.
1: Yeah, we're we're really excited. Like, we're trying to see how this plays out with what Apple's doing, what with WebRT. There, it's it's fascinating because the uh, the pandemic sort of lit a fire under all of these real time solutions. Um, so for us, we, we work with Wowza, that's our, you know, platform of choice. Encoding happens in a variety of ways, whether it be OBS or Zoom or StreamYard, that part is, you know, it really depends on the artist, what's best for them. Um, but then we go to Wowza and then we, we stream to our page. So really, there's so much happening with low latency. I mean, ultimately, we would love a real-time experience where it's truly real-time both ways. Um, so we're watching, waiting, experimenting, we're trying out all these different systems and to see, to see where it goes. But ultimately, you know, low latency or super low latency um, is where it's at, in, in our opinion, for that real-time audience experience.
0: Yeah. And do you have any predictions for when, you know, the world might be ready for live events again? Or, or perhaps will we even see maybe a move towards hybrid events where you have in-person attendance, but also a bigger, you know, live contingency participating uh, through the stream?
1: I think what you said is exactly right it's going to be a hybrid I think that like the cow is out of the barn on the ease like where you can experience these things and the the production levels are just you know because people are practicing like like we're just having iteration after iteration where you can you know improve on what a live stream can be like so I think that um, nothing will ever replace the live experience there's always going to be that you know where that could be preferable, um, but if you can't be there and you can have a live stream that's just engaging and has maybe even things that are not available in the live experience, that's a plus too. So um, I think as we evolve, we're going to find that live streaming is really its own category, different than podcasting, different than uh, it's like a straight streaming thing where like we mentioned, it's this uh, interactive two way experience that can complement and help even make a real, uh, in life, real real, um, life experience even better.
0: Yeah. And I think that applies, as you mentioned earlier, beyond comedy, you know, beyond theater or the arts, it's um, music festivals, it's sporting events, right? Esports tournaments and competitions. There's so many exciting applications for this type of technology.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I know, I think it's like I just think about how live streaming has been in the past where, you know, they sort of (laughs) as an afterthought just stick a camera up in a corner and the live stream you're just like, watching it from a distance like a security camera and now that we're just like with all the rope, you know robotic camera like you can really get in on the action and as we all learn how to you know have it be dynamic i even watching the you know recent news and how they're covering the election i i'm noticing techniques that are being adopted hmm. um that bring you in you know it's like bringing you in i think that's sort of the um one of the things that we when we set up our uh our comedians with their equipment we send them equipment we do tech rehearsals and we tell them that when you're live streaming you're it's an invitation into your world so we we definitely say you know don't do a green screen don't do like a lot of special effects like have your environment be reflective of your personality so like brian post saying like he had this he has this huge like man cave with a nerd wall with comic books and you know action figures and and fans love it because they're like, like, oh, I'm like, I'm at Brian's house. Yeah, yeah. That's really cool. So I think the, the immersive personal quality of live streaming is what uh, it's attractive and, and it really builds this stronger relationship with fans and artists.
0: That's amazing. Jill, one of the questions I love to ask everyone who comes on the show, given so many of our listeners are entrepreneurs and people who love to follow some of the emerging exciting trends in digital media. If you were starting a business, an entirely new business in the digital media space today, knowing everything you know and kind of considering the white space out there, what would you do?
1: Gosh, I'd have to say it's live streaming is pretty cool. (laughs) Um, So I would say live streaming, things that have to do with real time, uh, real time. The One of the categories that I'm really fascinated with is real time social, what happens in the moment and how exciting that is, Um, you know, I think you, what you now, I don't know if you know about them, but they're doing some cool stuff. I think Twitch is interesting as well, but I think it's this intimacy and immediacy of two-way communication um, that we're just, you know, we're on the bleeding edge of the technology and that's a good place to be like when any kind of technology, you know, when you're kind of like in there and and can be when it's just being adopted, it's kind of the, the place to be. So Any technology where you're where it's kind of new and evolving and you can get in there and learn. Um, and what's cool about today is that everyone's willing to help each other. It doesn't feel like, you know, whether you jump on Reddit or you just go to a blog or your show, like there's just so many resources where people are willing to share and and learn together. So I don't know. that's how I see it. <laughs> That's awesome.
0: No, I, I agree, right? Having been in the digital media space for uh, over a decade now, it's like, it's incredible how inclusive the community is and how uh, there's this sense of wanting to help other entrepreneurs, right? Listening right. to uh, what's what's happening and finding ways to kind of work together because things are changing so rapidly. The pie is is growing. There's a chance for kind of everyone to benefit. So the psychology has shifted from okay, you know, let's um, try and look out just for ourselves or preserve our our knowledge or expertise to more of an open framework of, hey, let's share, let's work together, let's learn and, and cooperate with others because that leads to more mutual success. So I love that philosophy.
1: Yeah, I agree. I, I think that, that it's really the, you know, the people who are sort of figuring it out and instead of thinking that they know all the answers, like asking all the good questions. You know, that's when I think about the Quibi you know, situation and how they sort of decided, oh, this is the way. And it actually is better to be a little scrappy and to not know and to try to validate early. And, you know, with the tools we have, you know, you can get set up with things fairly quickly and test, 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 and see what works versus just, you know, spend a billion dollars and kind of (laughs) decide that, you know, that's the way. So I, I think it's actually an advantage to be like, um, scrappy and sort of, that humble beginner's mindset mm-hmm. is good in this space. It's
0: yeah, those constraints force you to be creative and figure it out from, from the onset. So that's great. Yes. Jill, where can people find out more about you and more about Rush Tix?
1: Um, so Rush Tix is rushtix.com, R-U-S-H-T-I-X.com. Uh, I'm on Twitter, Jill Bork. Um, and yeah, that's, that's where we are.
0: Perfect. Well, Jill, thank you so much for taking some time to share all the exciting developments in live streaming, talking about, you know, how your successful business now at five years in has undergone a dramatic transformation and found this very exciting new business model and a way to kind of change live event experiences for people in the future. So I really appreciate you taking the time to share your story and learn a little bit more about your journey today on the show.
1: Thanks so much for having me. This was fun.
0: Good. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. I'm James Creech, and this has been another edition of All Things Video. If you like what you hear, we hope you'll share and subscribe for new episodes. See you next time.